0: The prayers of the people in Ukraine had no effect. So in a similar way the people the prayers of the people were of no effect. So it's similar to what this book, so I'm continuing in the ten foot square hut. So the first year passed and it was difficult enough to live, but when we looked for some improvement during the next it was even worse. For the pestilence followed, and the prayers of the people were of no effect. As the days passed, they felt like fish when the water dries up. And respectable citizens, who ordinarily wore hats and shoes, now went barefooted, begging from house to house. Yeah, that's similar to when the Nadir Shah and Abdali and those people, just during the time of. Mir, Takimir and and uh, Saad, and uh, those poets in Delhi had a similar problem. I guess that they have in Ukraine, and, and it seems here in Japan. And uh oh, is that why you're reading this? <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm I I wanted to read the the ten foot square hut because uh, it's like a predecessor to Basho. Um, uh, Basho, the poet, um, the haiku poet, you know. The days passed. They felled like fish when the water dries up. I don't know if I ever feel that way. I guess I probably have felt that way. And the respectable citizens who ordinarily wore hats and shoes now went barefooted, begging from house to house. And while you looked in wonder at such a sight, you would suddenly fall down and die. They... And while they looked in wonder at such a sight, they would suddenly fall down and die in the road. Oh, my God. And by the walls and in the highways, you could see everywhere the bodies of those who had died of starvation. Oh, God. And and as there was none to take them away, a terrible stench filled the streets, and the people went by with their eyes averted. Uh, I guess this is why he sort of went into the ten-foot square hut. Uh, uh, he saw some, a lot of tough things happen. Uh, so. And by the walls and the highways you could see everywhere the bodies of those who had died of starvation. And as there was none to take them away, a terrible stench filled the streets and people went by with their eyes averted the whole, ordinary roads were bad enough. Yeah, but, yeah, the roads are, ordinarily roads were bad enough. Yeah, the roads, even the roads in peacetimes are bad enough. Uh, Yeah, the roads are bad enough, in a way. Is that why you're going to a square foot hut? Uh, You're going to get a Tesla house or Airstream? What are your plans? Uh, Well, I'm just trying to get An in-depth and wise understanding of life. Okay. I guess there's some reason to read this. It's a Japanese classic after all. (laughs) The roads were bad enough, but in the slums by the riverbed, there was not even room for carts and horses to pass. Yeah, there's not room for the horses to pass even. As for the poor laborers and woodcutters and such like, when they could cut no more firewood and there was none to help them, they broke up their own cottages and took the pieces into the city to sell. Wow. And what one man could carry was hardly enough to provide him with food for one day. Wow, You could barely eat from breaking up your house. And it was a shocking thing to see among these... Scraps of firewood, fragments with red lacquer and gold and silver foil still sticking to them. And this because those who could get nothing else broke into the mountain temples and stole the images and utensils and broke them up to sell for kindling it. Wow, they just, they just broke up the churches in a way. Huh. It must be a wretched and degenerate age when such things are done. Yeah, like it's like I would say like when they break up those historic buildings and things in Ukraine, that's wretched and degenerate what they're doing. If they, especially if they wreck Odessa or something. Huh? Another very sad thing was that those who had children who were very dear to them almost invariably died before them because they denied themselves to give their sons and daughters, what they needed. And oh, and so these children would always survive their parents. Yeah, the parents looks like they fed the children, and then they died. Oh, my God. And there were babies who continued to feed at their mother's breast, not knowing she was already dead. Oh, I could see why he would turn to Buddhism after countering this stuff. Yeah, I guess that's um, the grim reality. Now, there was a noble recuse of the Jinsen in the hall of the ni ji temple called ro yu entitled the Lord of the Treasury, who was out of pity for the endless number of dead, arranged for some monks to go round the city and write the syllable A on the foreheads of all they found, that they might receive enlightenment and enter Amida's paradise. Oh, okay. So you could write a letter A on the dead people, I guess. They could enter Amida's paradise. Uh, Yeah, I guess uh, that's one way to get into paradise. And the number that they counted in within the city in the space of four or five months between the 5th and the 9th avenues on the north and south. Between Kyogoku and Sushizaku on the east and west was at least 42,300. Wow. That was in the dumbass or the dumba, bu- dumbbutts or the dumbass. 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 Dumbass in the dumbass or the dumbass. Ah. And when there was, is added to this, those who perished before and after this period, and also those in the riverbed and the Surikawa and western city quarters, they must have been almost beyond count. And then there were all the other provinces of the empire. Yeah, there's the regions of Ukraine, uh, the different provinces. It's actually a big country, huh? It is said that not long ago, in the August age of the Mikado, Sutoku ian in the era of cho show there was such a visitation, but of that I know nothing. What I have seen with my own eyes was strange and terrible indeed. Huh. I know the things that you have Read with your own eyes, the things you haven't seen—hardly anything strange and terrible. Yeah, you lived in this this uh, period of uh, Amer- pox americano. Yeah, well, I grew up during pox americano. So the first thing that I saw that was even disrupted—that was the coronavirus pandemic, which is like a a problem lasting a long time but oh so you you you've seen strange and terrible things in books like when you read about Stalingrad and yeah I read strange and terrible things into this podcast (laughs) so so I don't I won't have to live them oh okay are you going to Amida's Paradise before they happen yeah what I have seen with my own eyes was strange and terrible enough. And in the second year of the era, Genraku, there was a great earthquake. Wow. Yeah, you were saying something about how... Uh, uh, didn't they have like a typhoon or an earthquake? And a, where's the place that had both... A, coronavirus and a hurricane. And an earthquake. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they they say like like the Minoan uh Greek culture or something like they could have been some people theorize they're like at a triple whacking, uh like they have like let's say you have war and an earthquake and a pandemic and you have uh If you get three things going, or something, yeah, you could be wiped out. In the second year, there was a great earthquake, and this was no ordinary one. The hills crumbled down and filled the rivers, and the sea surged up and overwhelmed the land. The earth split asunder, and water gushed out. The rocks broke off and rolled down into the valleys. (laughs) What's so funny about this stuff? The rocks broke off and rolled down into the valleys while boats at sea staggered in the swell and the horses on land could find no sure foothold. What, what wonder that in the capital of all the temples, monasteries, pagodas, and mausoleums there was, should not be one that remained undamaged. Some crumbled to pieces and some were thrown down while the dust rose in, the clou- in clouds like smoke around them. And, The sound of the falling buildings was like thunder. Those who were in them were crushed at once, while those who ran out did so to find the ground yawning before them. If one has no wings, he cannot fly, and unless one is a dragon, he will find it difficult to ride the clouds, for one terror following on another, there is nothing equal to an earthquake. wow, this guy has seen it all. I could see why he went into his ten-foot-square hut in the woods. I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do after I saw these strange and terrible enough things. Among those who suffered was the child of a warrior, some six or seven years old. He had made a little hut under the eaves of the earthen wall and was playing there when the hole fell and buried him. It was very sad to see how his parents cried aloud in their grief as they picked him up all battered and with his eyes protruding from his head, even a stern samurai at such a time thought it no shame to show signs of his deep feeling. Indeed, I think it quite natural. Oh, so he's saying you should have, it's natural to have some deep feelings in this podcast. Yeah. The worst shocks soon ceased but the after tremors continued for some time every day there were some 20 or 30 that were beyond the ordinary after the 10th and 20th day they gradually came at a longer intervals four five and then two and three in a day what's that oh those are like missile attacks in ukraine then there were was would be a day, and then several without any shock at all. But still, these aftershocks lasted and maybe three months. Of the four elements, water, fire, and wind are always doing damage. Yeah, interesting. Here he says water, like the water is like a hurricane, fire is a fire, and the wind is a, like a typhoon type thing. Uh, and. Of the four elements, water, fire, and wind, are always doing damage, but with the earth, this is comparatively rare. It's interesting how these different elements are doing damage. Huh? Huh. It was in the era of Saku, I think, that there was a great earthquake, and the head of the great Buddha and the Todai-chi at Narafel, which I consider a very sad loss indeed, but it is said to have been not so severe as the one I have described. Uh. On these occasions it is the way of people to be convinced of the impermanence of all earthly things and to talk of the evil of attachment to them and of the impurity of their hearts. But when the months go by and then the years, we do not find them making mention of such views anymore. Yeah, they talk of... Are we supposed... Am I supposed to talk of the impermanence of things? Yeah, I'm... The reason I'm reading this podcast is to talk of the impermanence of all earthly things. On these occasions, it is a way of people to be convinced of the impermanence of all earthly things and to talk of the evil of attachment to them. So, to podcast about the evil of attachment to them and of the impurity of theirs. But when the months go by and then the years, we do not find them making mention of such views anymore. Yeah, that's why I'm making mention of, the, of them in this podcast. Thus, it seems to me that all the difficulties of life spring from this fleeting, evanescent nature of man and his habitation, and in other ways, too, the opportunities he has of being troubled and annoyed by things connected with his locality and rank are almost infinite. Yeah, the number of annoying things, uh, uh, annoying things is almost infinite. Uh, That is, in the earthly things. Uh Really? Really? Suppose he is a man of a little account, and lives near the mansion of a great man. He may have occasion to rejoice very heartily over something, but he cannot do so openly. And in the same way, if he is in trouble, it is quite unthinkable that he should lift up his voice and weep. He must be very circumspect in his deportment, and bear himself in a suitably humble manner. And his feelings are like those of a sparrow. Near a hawk's nest. Yeah. Yeah, my feelings are like those of a sparrow. Near a hawk's nest. Really? I thought you were a... Weren't a little person. <laughs> I thought you were a great man. But now you're saying you. You live near the mansion of a great man. And if a poor man lives near a wealthy one, he is continually ashamed of his ill appearance and has to come and go always with an apologetic air. Apologetic air. I have to apologize for this this manner of my podcast and what I'm wearing all the time. And when he sees the envious glances of his wife and the servants and he hears the slighting way in which his neighbor refers to him, he is always reliable to feel irritable and ill at ease. Yeah. Yeah, my friend, uh... My friend, the uh, Tibetan volleyball player, was, uh... Was slighted by uh, by uh, some other guy in the park, and he said, "Why did this guy like?" Said, "Oh, you should get out of my way, or something." It was he was uh, slighted. Here's the slighting way in which his neighbor refers to him. Yeah, I guess uh, if a poor man lives near a wealthy one, that's the problem. If I were to live in. Boca Raton, no, they would be—I would be ashamed of my appearance. Oh, uh-huh. well, so you're not gonna go there? No. I would be like a sparrow near a hawk's nest. <laughs> oh, is that where you're going to Colombia? I don't—I don't know what you're doing, but you can't live near rich people. No. No, they would slight me and say I'm not dressed properly or something. <laughs> Men of influence are usually greedy of place and power and while those of none are apt to be despised. Uh, well, so he I guess he's explaining why he went to the ten square foot hood. Is that why you're in your room or quarto in Queens, New York to try to hide from the Greedy people in Manhattan Men of influence are usually greedy of place and power While those of none are apt to be despised Yeah, a lot of people despise me in my podcast If you have a lot of property, you have many cares. While if you are poor, there is always plenty to worry you Wait a minute here now he's saying if you have property, you're worried, and if you're poor, you're also worried. Huh. Oh, what are you? Oh, I'm I'm lower middle class. <laughs> I don't have any worries at all, because I'm neither rich or poor. Oh, really? That sounds perfect. Okay. If you have servants, you are in their power. And if you are, you compassionate others, then that feeling masters you. If you have, oh, okay. If I had servants, you are in their power. And if you are compassionate others, then their feelings master you. They would master me, yeah. If you follow the fashions around you, you will have little comfort. Yeah, if I was to follow Madison Avenue and Hollywood and all that stuff, you would have a little comfort. And if you do not, you will be called crazy. Yeah. And if I don't follow along with um, the fashion so, and stuff like that, they call me crazy. Yeah, your podcast is crazy. Yeah, so... Whenever you go and whatever you do, it is hard to find rest for mind and body. This poor guy, he's trying to get away from all these snobby people, and he's he's got to deal with earthquakes and typhoons and God knows what else, (laughs) the war in Ukraine. I inherited the estate of my great-grandmother on the father's side, and there I lived for a while. Yeah, and I inherited the state of my mother and father and and I. But then I left home and came down in the world. And as there were very many reasons why I wished to live unnoticed. Yeah, so why are you podcasting the fact that you wished to live unnoticed? Yeah, I wished unnoticed. To live unnoticed. Is this the Walden Pond th- version of Japan or something? What? You went into the woods just to live deliberately? Yeah, I, I, I wish to live unnoticed. I could not remain where I was. So I built a cottage just suited to my wants. It was only a tenth of the size of my former home and contained only a living room for myself. Yeah, this, my uh, space now, my one room in uh, the apartment is, I don't think it's even one-tenth the size. It is one-tenth the size of my former home in Connecticut. Actually, it's probably one-twentieth. I don't know, wait a minute, that's a good question. Well, okay, it's one-twentieth, let's say. Uh, if mine is twenty by ten, that's that's two hundred, and, and the the Connecticut was four thousand. That would be one twentieth or something I Contained only a living room for myself, and I could not build a proper home. I had rough plastered walls and no gate, and the pillars were of bamboo, so it was really nothing more than a cart shed. So you're living in a shed, basically. No, it's, it's an apartment, but uh, uh, it's not really a cart shed. It's one of the bedrooms within a three-bedroom apartment, and it has a kitchen and a bathroom. Oh, okay. You even have a living room. Yeah. And as it was not far from the riverbed, there was some peril from floods as well as anxiety about thieves. Oh, oh my God. And then you have anxiety about thieves after. God, uh, this life is not so good. Uh, Did you have anxiety about thieves? Uh, Well, yeah. then why don't you lock the door? (laughs) Yeah, good question. Huh. So I went on living in this unsympathetic sympathetic world amid many difficulties for 30 years and the various rebuffs that I met left me with a poor opinion of this fleeting life Uh, yeah huh were you rebuffed Uh, yeah I was rebuffed Uh, I I, uh, left me with a poor opinion of this fleeting life Oh, is that why you became a mystic? Or is that why you meditate so much? Or when did this all happen? Or, uh, oh. So I went on living in this unsympathetic world among many difficulties for 30 years. And the various rebuffs that I met left me with a poor opinion of this fleeting life. Yeah, I this went on for me for about 30 years uh, before I and left me with a poor opinion of the divorce court and a uh, poor opinion of the legal system and, uh, and uh, of, uh, of business and, uh, and all these things um, of the worldly life. So when I arrived at the age of 50, I abandoned the world and retired. Oh, so this is about your retirement or something. What happened to you? Yeah, when I arrived at the age of 50, I abandoned the world and retired. And since I had no wife or child, it was by no means difficult to leave it. Neither had I any rank or revenue to be a tie to hold me. Yeah, I I at that point had no wife or child. The child, yeah, I had no child. Because, yeah, the child was subject to uh, parental alienation syndrome, so there was no child, hardly. So And so it is that I have come to spend, I know, not how many useless years hidden in the mist of Mount O'Hara. Yeah, I spent... Uh, a lot of useless years just traveling in the midst of O'Hara <laughs> to Mount O'Hara in British Columbia. Yeah, I know not how many useless years hidden in the midst of Mount O'Hara. And so it is that I have come to spend. I know not how many useless years hidden in the midst of the of the Mount O'Hara mountain in British Columbia. Yeah, I was spent a lot of useless years uh, traveling around the world, and I had went to O'Hara. It's a mountain, uh, actually it has limited access, so though that day I went, it was raining, so we got in without an appointment. Oh, wow. I thought you had to have an appointment, yeah. But some of my years were not useless. But most of my years when I didn't do meditation were useless. I am now 60 years old. Uh, Yeah, so. Yeah, I didn't. I am now 60 years old. And this hut, and this apartment in which I shall spend the last remaining years of my dual-like existence is like the shelter that some hunter might build for a nice lodging in the hills or like the cocoon some old silkworm might spin. So, yeah, this room is sort of like just a cocoon in a way. Yeah, at one point I was thinking that the physical body itself is a coca no. And when the silkworm and when the soul comes out of the body, it flies away like a butterfly. <laughs> so you're actually like a butterfly, and uh, but you are acting like just a worm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't realize I'm a butterfly, but I, I act like I'm a worm. Uh, <laughs> it's just in the physical body. But the master just tells me that I have a soul, which is like a butterfly. If I went into meditation, like in a cocoon, I could get out. Oh, okay. Hmm. Hmm. So, you are similar age and everything else, and you have a similar... Apartamonte apartement eh? is similar to his hut and yeah, they have these huts in the woods for hunters and stuff. I've seen those. Yeah, but you're not supposed to be hunting. <laughs> I'm hunting for the truth in this podcast, okay. If I compare it to the cottage of my middle years, it is a, not a hundredth of the size. Uh, hmm. Huh. Yeah, it's not even, uh, it's not even a hundredth the size. This apartment is not, this room is not even one-twentieth of the size of my former house in Connecticut. Thus, as old age draws on, my hut has grown smaller and smaller. It is a cottage of quite a peculiar kind, for it is only ten feet square and less than seven feet high. And as I did not decide to fix it in any definite place, I did not choose the site by divination as usual. Yeah, I wonder, how do I choose a site by divination? Huh. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. And this is seven feet. Uh, This ceiling is, I wanna say, 10 feet maybe his was only 7 feet uh, I should d- get the dimensions of my quarto for this podcast uh, and get it uh, I don't know I think the apartment was chosen by divination. Uh, yeah I think, I, I think when I went on looking for this apartment so this one was listed um, like an hour or something. It became the the moment it was listed, the day or the hour that it w- went went listed. I was the the divine moment when I went searching for a three bedroom apartment. <laughs> so this site is defi- found by divination as usual. It's not random events at all. Okay. So you're saying the things happening to you are divine, yeah. The walls are of rough plastered earth and the roof is of thatch. All the joints are hinged with metal so that if the situation no longer pleases me, I can easily take it down and transport it elsewhere. Yeah, like that would, if I. Uh... I don't actually, can't do that, but uh, if I was to get like a Tesla house (laughs) or uh, (laughs) Airstream or get one of those, uh, don't they have those prefab houses or something? I bet some of them could be moved easily. Even if they were fixed prefab houses, I bet a lot of them uh, could be moved easily. over the ones with wheels, I guess. And this can be done with very little labor, for the hole will only fill two cartloads, and beyond the small wage of the carters, nothing else is needed. Yeah, so I could get it, get all my stuff to fit into two cartloads. Yeah, I know, I had at one point all my stuff to fit in a Prius, in a way. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did at one point, yeah. Plus your small... Um, Yeah, I have, like, a small storage space. What what is it? Uh, It's, like, five by five. It's, like, and five high or something. It's really small. And the rest fitted in a Prius, but my stuff has been expanding a bit. Now, hidden deep in the vastnesses of Mount Hino, I have put up eaves projecting... On the south side to keep off the sun and a small bamboo veranda beneath them. Yeah, I keep off by having a um, an east-facing apartment. Uh, it's actually cool in the summer because it's on the lower floor. And it's on the east. And the, the afternoons get hot in the summer. And so this room is cool in the summer. Oh, okay. So it's rather cold. Uh, It's keep off the sun. And a small bamboo fronda beneath them. On the west is the shelf for the offerings of water and flowers to Buddha. Yeah, and when are you going to bring back Buddha? You have him in storage space. You claim to be a universalist. So where's Buddha? And in the middle against the western wall is a picture of Amida Buddha, so arranged that the setting sun shines from between his brows. Hmm. The setting sun shines from between his brows as though he were emitting his ray of light, while on the doors of his shrine are painted pictures of Fugan and Fudo. Over the sliding doors on the north side is a little shelf on which stand three or four black leather cases containing some volumes of Japanese poems and music and a book book of selections from the Buddhist sutras. Yeah, actually I have on uh, the shelf uh, by the window facing to the east I have a bunch of books on poetry. And music and I have music. And I have spiritual books. Oh, really. Or like I might have uh the poetry of Mir, Takimir, and I have I have uh I have uh Soaster's uh hymns of Soastrianism and I have the Bible and yeah, it goes on and on, you know, I'm a chronic bookhead and I have I have a lot more musical scores than you could imagine. Yeah, the largest component of what my property is is music scores. That's by far the largest. The they're they're the most difficult to, um, to replace or get, and most expensive in a way. So I have. Like, the tubs uh, in storage, there's, like, uh, let's say there was, like, eight tubs, let's say. So, like, about five of them is probably music scores. And then one would be photographs and notebooks and uh, one or two clothing. And so the bulk of the stuff is music scores. Oh, wow. That's nice. But you never got an iPad to play PDFs on the piano. I thought you were going to... I thought you had put a lot of those on PDFs. Why don't you get an iPad? And a book of selections from the Buddhist Sutra. And I could put all those PDFs of the Buddhist Sutra on the iPad. Okay. Beside these stand a harp and a lute of the kind called folding harp and jointed lute. Yeah, and beside these books stands an electric piano. And um, um, not too many musical instruments besides a tin whistle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beside them stands a piano. On the eastern side is a bundle of fern fronds and a mat of straw in which I sleep at night. Yeah, and next to them is not a mat of straw, but an actual bed. But there is next to it a Zabuton in which I meditate. Are you describing your hut at the same time you're describing the 10-foot square hut? In the eastern wall there is a window. Yeah, now we're talking about the eastern wall. There is a window before which stands my writing table. Yeah, so ideally, I would have a writing table. Huh. Well, there is a a, 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 a nightstand next to the bed. I don't even have a writing table. I used to... dining room table sometimes Mm -hmm. a firebox beside my pillow in which i can make a fire of broken brushwood completes the furniture to the north of my little hut i have made a teeny garden surrounded by a thin low brushwood fence so that i can grow various kinds of medicinal herbs huh nice Such is the style of my unsubstantial cottage. Uh, As to my surroundings on the south, there is a little basin that I have made, a pile of rocks to receive the water that runs down from a bamboo spout above it. And as the forest trees reach close up to the eaves, it is easy enough to get fuel. The place is called Toyama. It is almost hidden in the tangled growth of evergreens. Yeah. Wow, it's in evergreens. But through the valley is much overgrown. Although the valley is much overgrown, it is open towards the west so that I can contemplate the scenery and meditate on the enlightenment that comes from the paradise in that quarter. Yeah, but though though the valley is much overgrown, yeah, though much of uh, Queens is overgrown, it is open towards the west so that I can contemplate the scenery and meditate on the enlightenment that comes from paradise in that quarter. Yeah, I can meditate on enlightenment because the actual house is owned by tibetans so so it's got a natural blessedness from buddha so it's already got suitable for meditation and uh, there's a lot of tibetans there was one other day who played volleyball with us we had actually two tibetans uh, and played uh, volleyball, so... I was able to contemplate on the enlightenment that comes from little Tibet, Queens. Uh, in the spring, I behold the clusters of wisteria, shining like the purple clouds in which Amita Buddha comes to welcome his elect. Uh, in the summer, I hear the cuckoo, and his note reminds me that he will soon guide me over the hills of death. Yeah, I guess... He, the birds remind me that someday Buddha will come and guide me over the hills of death, of which they call him the warden. Yeah, the bird, the cuckoo, is the warden. So, does that relate to your hototo gisu, like they talk about the cuckoo all the time? Is that why they these uh, haiku poets are so... Depressed from listening to the cuckoo bird all the time? Or were they positive about it? I guess after they reached enlightenment, they were positive about it. But I guess... uh, Huh. Yeah, I guess you don't have to worry about it. Uh, If you've reached enlightenment uh, and you continue meditating every day, I wouldn't see why you'd have to worry about the. Hills of death. In autumn I hear everywhere the shrilling of the evening cicada, and inquire of him if he is bewailing the vanity of this fleeting life, empty as his own dried a pusk while in winter the snow as it piles up and melts seems like an allegory to our evil karma. Yeah do you have evil karma when you think uh, think about the situation and you think about what's going on in Ukraine and you think bad thoughts about Russia <laughs> or you think about uh, the Supreme Court uh, leak uh, with the abortion uh, issue with the leak uh, leak coming out of the Supreme Court uh yeah well do you think good or bad thoughts? And I thought that so Astor taught that you should think good thoughts. From of the mindful Lord and be mindful of the Lord and think good thoughts. <laughs> yeah, he was into mindfulness. It's strange. It sounds like you're reading mind mindfulness studies. <laughs> he sounds like he's an early version of mindfulness meditation. <laughs> He teaches good thoughts. Uh Yeah, you like Sylvester now. Huh. Yeah, he turns out he's very cool, actually. And he likes uh, dairy products. And he's against people killing the cows uh, because they have... It's very nice to have dairy products. (laughs) Okay. If I get tired of repeating the invocation to Buddha or feel disinclined to read the sutras and go to sleep and or sit idly, there is none to rebuke me. No companion to make me feel ashamed. Uh, yeah, no one's usually rebuking me. They usually complain when I read too much the sutras or meditate too long. So I'm only rebuked. Uh, or doing too much uh, reading of scriptures, or meditating too much. Uh, I may not have made any special vow of silence, but as I am all alone, I am little likely. To, I am little likely to offend with the tongue, and even without intending to keep the Buddhist commandments, separated from society is not easy to break them. Yeah, when you're amongst a lot of people and if you're alone, you can't irritate somebody by speech because you're all alone. So, even though I may not have made any special vow of silence, but as I am all alone, I am a little likely to offend with the tongue. Yeah, he's not offending anybody. So his karma isn't very high because he's just sort of hanging out alone. In his hut, in the woods, alone. Yeah. Is he afraid of karma? Like, well, if you just don't be bad and don't think bad thoughts and try to be positive. Yeah, I have a little, little bracelet that says positive vibes, so... I'm living not all alone, but I am taking a vow of, I've had a vow of not being negative, yeah. Yeah, you're negative about people who are negative though. You're negative about negativity, yeah. Yeah, I am negative towards negative people. (laughs) That is, is negativity, okay. In the morning, as I look out at the boats on the Hooghly River by Okanoya, I may steal a phrase from the monk Mansui and compare this fleeting life to the white foma in their wake. An association may lead me to try a few verses myself in his style. Or in the evening, as I listen to the rustling of the maples in the wind, uh, the opening lines of The Lute Maiden by great Chinese poet Po Chu naturally occur to my mind, and my hand strays to the instrument, and I play perhaps a piece or two in the style of Minamoto Suni Nobu, and if I am in the mood for music, I may play the piece called Autumn Wind, to the accompaniment of the creaking of the pine trees, outside or that entitled flowing waters, in harmony with the purling of the stream, I have little skill in verse or music. Yeah, I don't have that much skill in, for in poetry or playing the piano. I have little skill. In verse, or music, or podcasting, or reading, or doing anything, or meditating, I have little skill. And I'm no good at tennis, either. <laughs> yeah, I thought that guy okay, said you were actually good at volleyball. Yeah, he complimented me, actually, he said you're really good at volleyball. Yeah, so you have a little skill. I have little skill in verse or music, but then I only play and compose for my own amusement. Yeah, I'm only like doing this podcast for my own amusement. And I only write my poetry for my own amusement. And I only play the piano for my own amusement. And I only play tennis for my own amusement and not for the ears of other people. Yeah. So you really want to do that? Just sit in your 10-foot square hut and play the piano and write verse and podcast all by yourself? Uh, Why? I thought that humans were social animals and you liked uh, you like having a wife and stuff, and uh, you're trying to adopt it to your wife style. And you said that you were you were all alone in your podcast and in your quarto after your wife goes to work, uh, and you achieve that sense of of meditation. Uh-huh. Yeah, or you you are living it. Now, vicariously within books, with Japanese classics, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> at the foot of the hill there is a little cottage of brushwood, where lives the keeper of these hills, and he has a boy, who sometimes comes to bear me company, and when time is heavy on my hands, we go for a walk. He is sixteen, and I am sixty. And though the difference in age is so great, we find plenty of amusement in each other's society, yeah. Yeah, I spend time with the little girl, the little three-year-old girl who's... I read read her a book and we played the piano and she is three and I am 60. He is 16. And I am sixty, though the difference in ages is so great. We find plenty of amusement in each other's company. (sighs) Yeah. Huh. Sometimes we gather the lang long grass or the rock pear, or help others ourselves to wild potatoes or parsley, or we may go as far as the rice fields at the foot of our hills, and glean a few ears to make an offering to the deities. If the day is fine, we may climb up on some peak and look out over the capital in the distance and enjoy the views of Mount Kobata, Fusishmi, Toba, or Sukashi. Fine scenery has no landlord, so there is nothing to hinder our pleasure. Yeah, there's nothing to hinder our pleasure. Hmm, nothing. Hmm. This is part two of my reading from the 10-square-foot hut. I'm reading from my hut, so I'm reading about the hut. (laughs) When I feel in the mood for a longer walk, we may go over the hills by Sumiyama past Kasatori and visit the temple of kana of the thousand arms at iwama or it may take our fancy to go and worship at the famous temple of ishiyama by lake biwa or again if you go by awazu we may stop to say a prayer for the soul of semimaru at his shrine Anasaka Hill, and from whence may cross the river Tagami and visit the grave of Maru Taru. Yeah, I haven't visited too many graves lately. There's some big graveyards around here with famous people in them. I used to go see Scott Joplin, and I haven't seen they say rock mining office up in, uh, Westchester County. Then on our way back, according to the season, there will be the cherry blossom, to and the maple, or a bracken of some sort of berries to gather. Hmm. I wish I could gather some berries. Uh-huh. And of these, some we can offer to the Buddha, and some we can eat ourselves. So, yeah. You could eat some yourself. So I just wanted to finish up this podcast in the quiet evenings. I look out my window. Yeah, this is kind of the quiet evening right now. And I look out my window. And I was playing a Beethoven sonata. Yeah. In the quiet evenings, I look out my window at the moon and think over the friends of other days. Yeah, I was thinking about my friends. uh, uh, And the mournful cry of the monkey often makes me moisten my sleeve with tears. uh, uh, I might imagine the cloud of fireflies to be the fishing fires at Machinoshima, or the rain at dawn; to be the patter of the leaves driven by the wind. When I hear the howl cry of the pheasant, that might be mistaken for a father or mother howling to, howling to their children, as Gyogi Gyo- Bosatsu verse has it, or see the mountain. Deer approach me without any fear. Yeah. If the mountain deer approaches me without fear, then I understand how remote I am from the world. Yeah. If I could achieve that, the mountain deer approaches me without any fear, then that means that I've reached enlightenment. And I stir up the embers of my smoldering fire. The best friend an old man can find by him when he awakes. Yeah, my best friend is, uh, when I awake, is just some embers in a smoldering fire. And that's basically all this uh, podcast is, is a bunch of smoldering embers. The mountains themselves are not at all awesome, though indeed the hooting of the owls is sometimes melancholy enough. But of the beauties of the ever-changing scenery of the mountains, one never becomes weary. And you sound weary, though, or you're not weary. And to one who thinks deeply and has a good store of knowledge, such pleasure is indeed inexhaustible. Yeah, so. The pleasure of listening to this podcast is inexhaustible.